to Brave the Year. Um, my name is Jack Duplock, your host. In this podcast, I want to... In this podcast, I talk to artists. Within the studio environment, about their practice and their studio in general. This is uh, part two of my conversation with uh, uh, Reese Jones. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, at the moment you're not represented by anyone, are you? No. You kind of moves that. You're going to. Um... I was represented by all visual arts. Yeah. And that um, was a period you're making. You selling quite a lot with it. It was quite selling. Yeah. No, they were really good at that. Was there? It was a good relationship for a short yeah. while, was it? No, it was no. really. It yeah, was yeah. a really sort of um, magnesiumy thing. Magnesium flare. That gallery, like it burned very, very aggressively and brightly for a fairly short period of time. And actually, we went our separate ways. AVA and I went our separate ways before they fit, sort of wound it up. Anyway, they inevitably they inevitably wound it up. I think I think the thing was that it was it was backed by a guy who was interested in art, but not interested enough in grassroots art to want to run that space. Right. For that long, the financial guy, the guy who was running it. Um, so it was. It probably have a, It probably, in hindsight, it did have a half life. But at the time, it felt like it really fucking established itself hard. Came in at you know a certain level, just went for it. I like quite amazing because I remember going to see that show. It was in. so production heavy and kind of um, financially yeah. they were so supportive. Like they used, they would back all of my pre-exhibition framing costs and. You know, curatorially, we could have a conversation about it, and they were, um, career-wise, they were really supportive, really, really supportive, and accessible. Like you could talk to them, the two guys that were running it. I mean, initially it was Joe Placker, and he'd curated a show of mine prior to that at a space on German Street, Dickinson, which is generally known for secondary market, twentieth century art, and they were doing a little run of contemporary shows so okay. emerging yeah. artists and I got I was part of that it was good I mean it was exciting because it's sort of like you have to put your money where your mouth is especially if you're making what I was at the time which was these charcoal drawings on paper which are really fucking difficult to look after and frame and and, and set and to their credit yeah. they looked after them and framed them and sold them and um, and contextualised them appropriately and it was all really exciting stuff, actually. And then I had a speed wobble because I suddenly thought, shit, I'm becoming a really baroque theatrical character in this quite baroque theatrical world. So I bailed out to look at my navel for a bit, which is not very uh, you thought financially you rewarding. That you would have been stuck in on some kind of. I just felt it. Grief. I felt the work going in a certain direction yeah there was a certain inevitability to the work and it freaked me out they were quite epic I mean I, I remember that show it was quite I was quite in awe it was of very the work. epic yeah 
kind of sort of remind me, it touched upon a lot of, um, well, obviously the romantics of the line, but mm-hmm. there was Edema, Ansel Adams, but mm-hmm. then 2001 mm-hmm. Space Odyssey. Yeah. And also Tarkovsky as well, like yeah. Andre Tarkovsky. Yeah. And like Solaris and Stalker. And yeah. That's like, all the stuff that I was looking at and thinking about. And it was, and I still did look at and think yeah. about that stuff, but I definitely found it. I think I had a sudden panic about virtuosity. I, I, I got really good at doing certain things. And I see you kind of felt there was a I could set the fireworks safe. off. It wasn't safe. Art's not but, safe ever, is it? But yeah. there was definitely this element of like, I was setting off fireworks and I started feeling a bit panicky about it. And there was a, there was a grandios- grandiosity to all visual arts agenda. It was really a lot of the conversation around the art that was shown there was to do with spectacle and all and magic. And there was something really beautiful about that but I just thought it was it was one element of what I was interested in and um, I don't know I think I probably just had a little speed wobble a bit of a panic about it and of course what you should do in a scenario like that is just open your stuff up and direct it out of the studio into a different direction with confidence but this was the first time it ever been properly managed by a gallery and um, I wasn't I wasn't used to it and I didn't know how you were supposed to do that. And I think I probably felt a bit And you kinda of working with the galleries of change rather than And now I'd now I'd be fine. Now I'd just be like, oh I'll just go in my studio and do what I'm doing and if they don't like it anymore that's fine and we'll call it a day. So I almost preemptively jumped out yeah. because of what I was planning to do, which was to make a bunch of stuff that they would have probably not been able to sell. There's always, I mean, I suppose I there's, always that that. there's always that fear of like, you, you make work that seems successful in a way, and then yeah, you feel like you. Um, you don't want to like stay in this kind of yeah. same position. You'd want to like you want to sort of push your work, and then you feel. But you know, in hindsight, if I'm really honest, it was me that I was freaking out about right then like what what i was I can imagine if i was in a group i was getting yeah. hurt and i and i was in a rut with my work and i think that i thought that was because of external pressure if you changed your work they probably would have liked they it. would have been really supportive yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know um because they were never anything other than supportive yeah we disagreed about some things artistically but they were always supportive and um Truthfully, I think I think what I needed, I think I needed to just to just have a bit of a break and a bit of a think. Yeah. But it's funny because I haven't properly done that since then. I've done shows since then. I've pursued different series of work. I mean, you and I worked on a project since then. Yeah. Together, and I was really excited by the work I was making for that. Um, and actually, if I'm if I'm explicit about it, I think that's the work I was thinking about doing that I thought they would hate or not dig or that wasn't right but it's, space. I, feel but like I think it would have been fine sim- it, you know, it goes with a similar place <laughs> of course it does you're yeah. based you're just using a different subject yeah but it's so still silly. that kind I was, of I was too mag- magic frightened you know stuff I'd be fine now yeah. I think it's really interesting that, to go back to younger artists and seeing them you know there's people who graduated from the BA that I work on the BA not the MA 
who are three galleries, solo shows, international, and they're fine. They're managing it. They're not frightened. They're not blown away by it. Because I think they've got a, a different type of pro- professional perspective. And I yeah. took everything so personally. <laughs> you know. Used to lie awake at night worrying about it. About, you know, what my work meant to the half a dozen people who were looking at it. And you've just got to get your fucking head down. I've kind of always done. I'm always thinking that. Like, what, what, what does my work mean to the half of those yeah, people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, it's just quite recently I've just been like, I'm just going to do a load of things. You've just got to get your head down, haven't you? All sorts of different things. And then um, there'll be some meaning in there. There is meaning. I mean, we, I just have to th- we've not been think it about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's not going to be no meaning. Yeah. I think the no. thing is that we don't trust ourselves to, to, to imbue it with meaning. And the meaning's already in there. It's, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I've been effectively, for the past six months or so, I've been kind of operating a little bit like an outsider artist. It's almost as if I shut my brain off and kind of been making the same thing over and over again. I come in the studio when I can and I get my watercolours out and I do a thing. And it's if you look at the stuff around us, which is just some of it, <coughs> it's sort of the same thing over and over again. You know? But different. But different. But I, I wasn't even sure that it was going anywhere and I've only just rationalised it. I've only just started to work out what I'm thinking about and what it might mean. And it's only now, after six months, starting to have an effect on the other research that I'm doing and the reading that I'm doing and the other pictures that I'm looking at and the films that I'm looking at and the, the, you know, the music that I'm listening to and the podcasts that I'm downloading. All summer, I've been almost like a like an art therapy thing just coming in and just doing this thing doing one now. so weird so weird to not have a kind of loaded gun in that way that I'm used to having to know what you're making you know and I'm not sure I think some of them are quite good you know well some of them will come out because if you don't know what you're doing that's right something something will come out and it'll move your work. Something's definitely coming up it already. Yeah. I mean, those works in the, that I've put in the uh, Dini's Cafe, the side off is just kind of uh, Tuesday morning doing these kind of small works. Yeah. Abstract, and they initially... Just do, formally arranging things. Yeah. Yeah. And they formally aced out kind of as... They, they became pieces on their own. But it was a good exercise because it was like the first day um, in the first day of the week in the studio because I usually don't I don't work on Mondays to do something else. And um, how many days a week are you in the studio? Well, at the moment because I'm only working on Saturday. Oh, so you're pretty much full time. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. so I try and have a structure so like a Tuesday for like drawings and, and stuff and then painting and then. Doing some sculpture, which I don't really know what it's about, but they seem mm. to be working. Interesting. And this working is all leading together. up to a show. Yeah. At the, at the agency. Yeah, which is a, which is going to be a, a kind of retrospective because she wants to put all the work. It's been quite. So I've been bringing out like um, old work from 
probably the last five years rather than ten, because I've been working with her for ten years, mm. and uh, it's quite interesting to look at your old work and see the trajectory of the, what. So what have you? Now. What have you found out by doing that? Well, I always fear that I'm doing every piece of work that I do is completely different from the other. And Isn't there's no funny? linear. Because like everybody else is going to work out and you go, well, that's Jack the Clock. He made that. Actually, there is, there is some kind of sort of... Some line. Line. This is really... I'm going to get another bit. Do you want another bit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is... That's really interesting because... Can I have this red ale? Yeah, go for it. This is really interesting because this is similar to the kind of conversation I've been having with myself recently. I had a really lovely conversation in here with um, a very good friend of mine, CJ Mahoney, who she's curated me in the past and I've curated her in the past into shows and we've shown our work alongside each other and I'm I'm a great admirer of her. And the way that she approaches making things, and especially the way that she thinks about the kind of the job of thinking and working. And she came in here, and she, I've had a good few chats in here lately with people who have been um, brilliantly honest with me. Yeah. Um, Dan Howard Burke came in, and he was fucking amazing and enlightening. And um, Becca Penny Fry came in from um, Elephant and Griffin, and she was just kind of open-minded and honest and then and CJ came in and just almost sort of stopped me from disappearing down a, a yet another very very tight little cul-de-sac that was going down and she just sort of pointed out that I was losing the work I was doing was diligent and it made sense and it was quality but it wasn't I'd lost sight of the kind of the broader spectrum of the things that I was initially always interested in Okay. those things weren't as relevant anymore it kind of become hyper specific and as a result I was sort of less excited and animated and she was just like this is all fine, it's fine but you're not loving it you know, you need to go back and redress readdress the things that you look at the last part of your practice where you were genuinely enthused by things and identify what those markers are and try and think about how you can begin to weave those things back into what you're doing. Yeah. And it was really basic advice, the sort of thing you say to a student in a much more simplistic way in terms of them going a little bit off piste, you know. But it was on the money, she was absolutely right, you know. And so I just stopped doing it. It was that series of work, which I think good. You know, these sort of towers, these drawings of towers... And it's a good little series, but I was going to go on. I was going to go off down that route of making loads more of them. And she just said, "Just don't do that until you've reconsidered all of the things that got you there over the last yeah. twenty years or fifteen years." Because this is going back to what you're doing. Yeah, it is, but it's almost without, sort of almost without the enthusiasm for the things for the elements. Like like, them. Yeah, I was kind of forgetting yeah. the. And also, you know, I've got this relationship yeah. with film and photography, and with photorealism and with all yeah. these things that I've kind of ebbed away I've kind of eroded away over the years and she was just like just go back and have another think about it and I think she expected me to be much more dynamic and spend the summer making a shitload of really diverse experimental stuff and what I ended up doing was doing a lot of thinking and 
creatively making this kind of weird side project. But through thinking about it, the side project has what has started to come around and meet up with the thinking, and there's a new. So it's a kind of different place. A new, yeah. I'm at a new place. It's kind of nice. It's, it's the first time I've. It's the first time in probably a dozen years where I haven't had a major deadline looming over me. Yeah, I've had like. I haven't really shown that. I mean, I. Um. I've had a few group shows since since we sh- we did Chimera. How um, contextualised is all this information going to be for the three people who are going to listen to it? Um, <coughs> or is this just for our benefit? Like all this all this info, I feel like we should be joining the dots for people storytelling it. I don't know. Yeah, we should probably know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's just well, I think a lot of the time podcasts are just people chatting. Yeah, yeah. So there is some. I mean, I, the, yeah. I, I think we've made some interesting this conversation. So that so that show. So there's a so we basically we we had a three person show at the Asian gallery agency gallery. Yeah. Which was fun. Called Chimera, like, and that was what 2015. Something like that. Um, it was fun it was fun and then I had uh, that year between that and then going to Iceland for the three months which was the same year but at the end mm. um, I just I wasn't happy with what I was doing basically because I didn't really know but Iceland because I was, like, I I was, was sort of repeating what I right. what I was doing for that that, for show, that show and not really Engaging it enough. Iceland should that up though, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like Iceland was for you what that conversation with CJ and Dan and various yeah. people was for me. Oh, I came back with a different perspective, and so the work was yeah. changed a lot, and sort of it's more detailed with the landscape. You feel? I mean, it looks to me like you've got real momentum. Yeah. But I've looked back at those minimal stuff, and I can see the quality in that minimal stuff now, which I. Hadn't when I of this period of, of finding it's what I was doing what quite difficult. What you've around. honed formally over the last couple of years, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's funny. I I I often have this conversation with Alex G. Morrison as well. Because he because he's an artist whose work has occasionally been utterly anarchic visually, almost to the point of pretending pretending to be clumsy and naive and youthful. <coughs> and then of course he's really interested in painting with a capital P and composing with a capital C and arranging with a capital A and he's really interested in kind of people who make those things work and there was it was fascinating watching him it's very similar to watching you watching him come out of that kind of territory of this sort of what's the word almost sort of mouldy anarchic kind of uh, tableau making and and to really start to focus on the arrangement of things 
Yeah. But use the skills that you developed by being dirty and weird and employing them in that kind of much more kind of... Um, it's not focus. What am I talking about? It's just that, that something about harmonics or the way that things arrange themselves and the way that the visually you, you just suddenly go, oh, that looks quite deliberate. There's no accident here at all. And there's enough evidence of that that the viewer doesn't have to be extremely clever to see it. It's just, it's available to them. You know? And your work's done that, hasn't it, over the past three or four years, I think. Yeah, it's kind of focus, yeah, kind of stuff. <clears throat> like, I always knew you, you were a shit-hot painter, but the paintings sometimes were at pains to tell an opposite story. They were trying to pretend that they weren't. There was like a sort of a... It was to do with language, I think. It's like the language of... It's the same as punk. It's the same as any kind of music, isn't it? Where the, 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 the noise it's making... It sounds like it sounds anarchic. It sounds like just noise. It sounds dismissive of arrangement. And then you kind of listen to it. and You go, "Oh, you'd have to really know how to play your instruments to do this." Do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it's that kind of thing. And I think that people like you and Alex, especially when you were drawing and painting pictures of things, those things were sometimes kind of repulsive and kind of rude or naughty or strange. And so a viewer could quite reasonably be expected to go, "Oh, they're just punking out." Well, yeah, there was a period where I was doing stuff that was kind of very, um, I suppose we'd call it um, B-movie-esque mm. mm. horror. Yeah. And there's elements of that, but I, I think... I love that stuff. I, I mean, that was the stuff that we showed at Rockwell. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I love this stuff too. I kind of recently actually um, found some slides of work from... From then. From the Royal Academy to, to now, kind of. <clears throat> actual or that period yeah it's quite interesting to have a look at it and um, I think some of those elements are still in the work I think more the way I um, take uh, find my sources and how I kind of sort of compose them in, in the work mm. yeah definitely. I, I take things from disparate area just dis from disparate sorts like images from disparate sources mm -hmm. and just bring them together in a kind of free associated way. I also think... Um, and so there is meaning, but it's not like I'm not... I don't know what that meaning is until until I actually start making the actual final painting. And has, it, has it always been that way? Or does maturity... I, th I think it's always been that way, but I've been more focused on, because the early work was every, it's kind of like, I was just putting everything in it. Mm. And um, I recently, well, I'm still working on this, this large, fairly large painting. Well, the same, um, I think a two foot by three foot mm. painting. Um, well, there's a lot of things going on, but it's more about there's a lot of detailed landscape with a single figure in the in the centre, and it, what brings it all together is this um, framework that's a kaleidoscope framework where um, each section has a different thing going on, and it's sort of it, together 
it becomes like a painting. A, that's almost a 19th century device, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a sort of, this is the sort of thing you'd expect to see at the turn of the century. Do you remember that amazing show at the Royal Academy, that Paris 1900 show? Which was full of... I do remember, I don't, think, I, I don't think I can remember seeing Froth. it, but yeah. And it was, yeah, yeah. it was trippy as fuck. It was just like... Um, yeah, that kind of that kind of Austrian French turn of the century kind of period when people were building their paintings in really bonkers ways. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's like what are the kind of what are the rules of engagement for you to make your paintings, and what are the rules of engagement for me to look at them? I've always sort of I remember, it's funny talking to you about your work because whenever I talk to you about your work, you listen. And there comes a point where I, because you, because you're a really big listener, I sometimes look at you and I think, is he gonna hit me? Like, <laughs> like does he hate? Does he hate what I'm saying? I remember talking to you about your work when we were running up to doing that show together. Yeah. And I started talking to you about psychedelia, and I think that's a difficult word to drop in around around a lot of people's work because if you're wrong about that, it what you could be saying is. You look like you're nuts. You look like your work's frothing, and and of course that's not at all. Well, no, psychedelia is like psychedelia is is yeah yeah. But but I I know that when you really when you mention psychedelia, yeah, people people stick their noses up because it's like it's almost why though? Um, but even now, really, I, I mean, think most because there's a clean... contemporary art play with psychedelia. I mean, can yeah, with yeah yeah yeah. I think that I feel that sometimes people think it's a slight cliche to psychedelia because it's become like a part of mass culture now of that it kind gets, of the it slight radical movement that came out in the 60, mm-hmm. late sixties is now seen as it can see yes. very poppy. Right, so Ben and Jerry's ice. Cream. But I mean, there's nothing wrong but, with that either. Well, I just wonder whether or not we're overthinking. You and know, I think because yes, you, because you have a great knowledge of like I find kind of things like music and stuff like that. Yeah. and I think that your corner of that cultural overlap is really really well informed. And I mean, you know, I couldn't unpack it ever. I could never completely unpack it. I'm not looking at it, so it's not like I'm looking at it and just nodding and going, "Oh yeah, I know what he's trying to say," <laughs> <laughs> or do, you know, because it's not. It's not an, an allusion to psychedelia. It's just that some psychedelic influences in, are involved in the making yeah, of it. Yeah. I think that's the difference, isn't it? It's like, I mean, I've already talked about hipsters today because we were talking about the way how it shifted, but I don't even know what a hipster means, but in my head, a hipster is someone who's pretending to do something. It's like a pretentiousness. It's sort of like a dressing up box version of something cultural. Yeah. I'm not sure that's right. I don't think that's the definition of a hipster. But in my head, if I say hipster, I kind of mean a person who's kind of playing at being What's, a certain thing. It's know. quite straight. Like a hipster is almost um, the elements that categorise hipster are kind of elements that maybe the hippie in the 60s and 70s were in doing. The original definition of the like, book, yeah. Dressing in a very flamboyant way, yeah. um, making your own bread and your own beer. Are these yeah. kind of things that my yeah. parents yeah. did. Yeah, exactly. Making your own furniture. 
I mean, I suppose they were like post, post but they were seen as hippies. But they, but they weren't but doing it. I don't think they might have been doing it for stylistic reasons. Yeah. Of the culture. I know, it's more. I don't think they were doing it because they were trying to pretend to be the guys who did that. Whereas now there's a little bit of like that kind of Portlandia thing yeah. of kind of faking that. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's the element of fake. Yeah. That's, that's where... It's fake. Kind of, yeah. Why are we talking about that? I, don't, I can't remember. Oh, because we were talking about psychedelia. Yeah, yeah. And owning it. And kind of either, either the work is kind of immersed in that and has that effect when you look at it. And it evokes certain corners of your cultural understanding that kind of belong there. Or it's just kaleidoscopic because that's what that would look like, and and you don't fall into that second category in your work. Your work's oh, sometimes it's so difficult to to understand. I don't think it is understandable. And you do horrible little clever little games where you put something in it that makes you think oh, that makes you think oh he might be illustrating something here. There might be something for me to learn from this icon this iconography but it's very complicated it's yours you own it you know it's yeah, not for me to like, completely understand it i don't think does anybody completely understand it other than you i don't know i think people just take different try, they try and understand i mean I, <clears throat> I mean a lot of time i find it difficult to talk about it, so i have to talk it in a, like a wide well what yeah because if you don't, you, like you, these are the things that can, that brought me to this sort of. I think conversely, sort of, I think uh, of image of being too specific yeah. about my own work over the years. I'm just learning now, halfway through my career. I'm just learning to sort of relinquish certain responsibilities around the meaning of the work and what it kind of sells and talks about. And I think I think that's, I've done myself an enormous disservice by not enjoying that territory. But I think less specific than that. Yeah, I think I think um, not to be too specific when you're making that, and then you can find that specific focus. Yeah, if when you're talking right, about it, it comes up. Yeah, and if you're working you in series, you can yeah. see it, can't you? Because yeah. if you work in series, after a while, you start to sort of say, "Well, together, these things are saying something." There's a kind of a uh, either it's attitudinal or it's thematic or it's or it's um, conceptual or it's all of those things and you can kind of see start to seep out of what you're doing. But I mean, I, I used to build a rationale for everything I made to the point that I could break it down talk about it. Almost like, you know, overly professional, too professional, far too professional. Be, well, while you're doing it or before you... Yeah, while and after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's kind far of... Far too professional. Like you're sealing all the little yeah. air holes. You're sealing all the little... You're making sure you've completely plugged every little hole. And I just think that's not... Don't it's not think fun. about it. <laughs> it's not as much I, I, I always um, feel that the visual and the, and language is a very different thing. It's a very different thing. And some people can do both at the same time, but... You're making a visual thing. If you're making something like a painting, yeah. To be articulate, to, to articulate about it, like while you're doing it, it's quite a difficult thing because you're going through a process of exploring, yeah, what it's, yeah, what the meaning of it is while you're doing the work. I mean, I think maybe over the last few months so, I've gone too far the other way, where I've almost gone, "What if I make a whole load of work that is meaningless until it 
But then all meaning will come out. So hopefully it's some meaning struggles out of it. I mean, but, you know, yeah. there is meaning here, yeah. I think. You know, these new ones that I did in the last week, I'm pleased with. Is this, you, when you talk about fear, it's like... <laughs> These d- Trust me, the these new ones are really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can talk about the new. Are they, I suppose, are they, they, I mean, the motif is a shark. Are they, I've been making is it, paintings of sharks for the last few months. Is it from, a, from like Jaws or something? Well, like, I don't know. I mean, or you I just decided to. I don't think it is from Jaws, it. but then you can argue that it must be from Jaws because my favourite film is Jaws of all time. My number one. Film of all time. I think I think Jaws is the perfect film. I think uh, I think yeah, I agree. It's a better piece of cinema than Jaws. <laughs> but a couple of years ago, I went to see it in the BFI because it's a <sighs> Steven Spielberg. Um, I mean, and, what was, a lovely and I've forgotten. I've forgotten how great it was. It's so good. It's, it's so good. It's so good. And I could. I mean, I could talk for hours about. Um, I could talk for hours about the relationship between my understanding of the sublime and Steven Spielberg in the 1980s and 70s. That's a whole other conversation that could go on for hours, but that's not necessarily what these are about. I think, I can't even, do you know what, I can't even trace it back to why I made the first one of these as a shark. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, to be honest with you, I think it's got something to do with I was designing some whiskey boxes for a limited edition run of whiskey. And through thinking about that, it kind of became apparent that there ought to be a shark on that box for various reasons that I won't go into now. And but that started the I started making yeah, yeah. pictures of sharks, yeah. drawings of sharks, and then I started looking at the pictures that I was making for those whiskey boxes, and I was like, hang on a minute, some of these are quite interesting. And I think somewhere along the line I've made a stencil of a shark and then somewhere along the line I've done a painting using that stencil and it had left this negative space of a shark. And then I just went off on one completely. And then I suddenly realised that it was making sense because it was related to the things that I was thinking about in the world. Because all, all I think about at the moment is fear. All I think about is, is people being scared. I think people being scared is driving everything. Yeah. Everything. The, the, the world would stop spinning <laughs> on its axis if we weren't scared. So I'm really interested in that now. And when you and I last worked together, I was thinking a little bit about that because I was thinking about people wanting to believe in a monster, in monsters. I was talking about Bigfoot and stuff like yeah. that. And, but it was more to do with belief structures and stuff. But it's all bound up in the same thing. It's the same conversation, which is that we choose to either you could say we choose to believe what suits us or we choose to be frightened of what suits us and I think I think we choose to be frightened of what suits us and at the moment we're all fucking shitting ourselves and it's got and I think we're shitting ourselves ostensibly about a lot of things we don't need to be and we shouldn't be and we're not shitting ourselves about the things we should be so it's it's like the shark is this kind of emblem for fear I think isn't it yeah. it's this misunderstood well, it's kind of a mysterious creature. It's just, a, it's just a fish, and and it, it's this misunderstood thing, and it's kind of an icon for for fear, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it has those eyes that are kind of not the dead eyes. Dead eyes. Well, because it's an efficient, it's, it's an efficient machine. Yeah. It's been around for four hundred and fifty million years. 
and all it's done is swing with its eyes open, never shuts its eyes, <laughs> and it just eats things, and that's all it does, and it just swims and eats, and it's fucking good at it, it's got really sharp teeth, and it's big, and sometimes it eats one of us, and we don't like it, and it, um, and, and, but there's sharks out there at the moment just getting on with it, and we're not, they're not affecting us, and the things that are affecting us don't seem to sufficiently frighten in my humble political opinion. So that's what I started to see out of those whiskey drawings, whiskey box drawings I was making. And then I just went off on a tangent and started making pages of sharks. And some of them are quite pretty. You know. And Alex was saying to me the other day, he just said, just make a big one, make some big ones. Yeah, well, I've watched because he thinks they're just too small. Yeah, yeah they're too small. They're too poor. Yeah, you could almost yeah. see it doing an animation, animation with them as well. Yeah, because a lot yeah. of them just repeat. Yeah, and then the most recent ones are these ones over here, which don't oh, yeah. repeat. They're just like so. I started. I started off by making all these stencils, and now I just make a one-off stencil by hand drawing the thing out. So and then, you know. No, no. So these they're like really, I can see these creatures. large, large kind of. Totally, yeah. I think that'd be quite interesting. It's a ghostly sort of creature and a sort of a dark sort of lagoon. Yeah. I mean, I worry a little bit that they're just illustrations. But um, well, they're not. Because they don't, they're not illustrating anything. And in fact, so, you, know, you shouldn't worry about that. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think. I think sort of. I think I'm fairly clear about what an illustration is. Yeah. And an illustration has a job to do, and these things aren't doing a job. Yeah. So that's fine. You know, it's all right. And, and then I suddenly start rethinking my relationship with photorealism and my relationship with cinema, and I start thinking about a body of drawings and things that kind of come out of this, for which these could be a kind yeah. of a tributary river. Because I, I mean, remember your... The, the way that you were doing it, because we were both at the Royal Academy School. Yeah, <clears throat> I think you were in the first. I was a year below you, or yeah, two years. Yeah, two years. But I remember coming into your room, you were doing those large um, drawings of figures. I think of um, the portraits, almost. Yeah. Filmic. Well, that was probably in the third year. Photo. So you might have seen the show. Um, I, it might have been a time when I just walked in after like... Well, you just came like, in and hung out. Yeah, hung out. Um, I think in the first year I was kind of making pictures of people in like... Well, yeah, no, I was. I was making pictures of people in like... Um, that I'd taken photographs of. Okay. Yeah, and then I started working with film stills. Maybe some people were dead. Dead, dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, eventually... Yeah, by the time it was a third year, it was all I think those portraits ones, of people who were dead. In those are the ones I remember. Yeah, and then I m- cropped them and made them look not dead. Or made them look differently dead. Or, I don't know, they were doing something else. I really like those. It was funny, because when I was talking to CJ about this whole kind of look back over your interests project that she sent me, and I'd forgotten how much I liked those. I just think they were quite concise kind of interesting yeah. things to do to make these photo real massive photo real pieces based on these kind of big moving moments well, that must have been that, so obviously you kind of realised that was core, core like film 
photorealism are kind of core sort of subjects that you're interested Yeah, in but also way. beauty and, and misunderstanding, because yeah. there was this whole thing of eventually they looked quite euphoric and beautiful and, port- and they, they became portraits, but they weren't, they were representations of death. Yeah. And, and then the whole idea of theatre and falsehood and um, all of those things that I'm still interested in now, but have somehow been used in different ways throughout my, you know, different series of works. And you kind of return to it, you start thinking, oh no, yeah, no, there was something quite fundamental about just getting a, a found image and taking it out of context and playing with it, um, which is obviously nothing new, but the way that you go about doing that can be completely individual, can't it? And, and kind of can take you somewhere quite interesting. Really. And I just think I just, I think I just over, over, became over specific about the, 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 the jobs that I was giving that, those interests. Does yeah. that make any sense as a sentence? You know, I, I started forcing that agenda into something very specific and making it behave in a very specific way. And you don't have to. You just don't have to. You shouldn't have to. You know, you can definitely relax that responsibility around making things, I think. I became far too Yeah, I mean, you, you can have, a, like, maybe one or two parameters yeah. and, then, and, then and then just within move. that, things will happen, but they will still be... Related to the yeah. to each other because yeah. you you have you have a kind of language there already. So it's like yeah, <clears throat> you've always been really good at that. That's sort of the key. That's the key to your work, really. It's why a viewer can't just look at it and get it because you've always been very good at kind of weaving things in, some of which may or may not be super important to the thinking around the work. And it's, it's sometimes really difficult to unpick what the priorities are for the, for the work. So when you're looking at it, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, is it, is, it, is it supposed to be pretty? Is it meant to be evocative of a certain cultural time period? Is it meant to make me think about harmonics and arrangement? Is it formal? You know, those things don't, they don't prioritise themselves. They're all there, happening variously. And sometimes you make you know, a picture of a thing or a place. Yeah. You know, well, it, I mean, it's something to look at. And yeah. then sometimes you make a, or a person or a figure or whatever, and sometimes you, you don't. And it's kind of interesting how you, you, you're quite open to allowing all of those things to happen in the same studio space. I think it's a lot of time because I don't, when I start painting, I don't really know what I'm going to be doing. But how do you way. do that? How do you begin a painting without that? Uh, what, do you, what do you do? Do you just open your painting? Well, a lot of the so time it's just... like, I've, well, it, recently after Iceland, there has been some, like, there were a few, there was a, a couple of uh, local folk stories that I found really interesting and I've kind of based right. work on that. So there's some narrative running in the background. Yeah. Uh, the landscapes are landscapes that I've been to and I've but I combine them so they they're not they end up being not a specific place, they're of a several places. Right. Which is similar to the sort of game that I play with my 
landscapes. Yeah. Just these kind of morphic, um, like sampling elements and making them into a place. Yeah. Space. And um, I suppose the main thing with it is to, to try and make work that's quite dreamy so it's in that way it's quite psychedelic in that sense but you are dreamy is a better word actually a lot of because um, psychedelic is so specific isn't it yeah I think I think it's interesting it goes back to that element of trusting trusting the artist doesn't it that your work if if, if the viewer didn't trust you if there weren't elements of um, arrangement and decision making that were available to the viewer that there always is if they weren't there the viewer would lose faith in um, they'd lose faith in looking you know it's like it's like cause, because in, in, in another context the whole kind of idea of making work that is dreamlike or dreamy or of dreams is is so fucking fluffy and so unless you tether it to a kind of a studio practice where there's an element of kind of exchange and looking and making and really taking that delivery seriously unless the delivery mechanism works it's just a stone of conversation isn't it and, it, and you've always circled around those that language and around that kind of conversation where, where the elements if you take them in the raw of your work if you just take them in the raw it could be a conversation between a couple of people on the uh, farm in the Manson family, just having a chat with each other. And if they're not diligent artists, they couldn't deliver it. Yeah. They'd just still be having that conversation. It's just a campfire conversation. And then you, but you deliver it. And delivering it's the hard part, isn't it? It's like, it's like rodeo tethering all of these different fucking wild things and making them all not behave, but just become the, become. Am I just talking bollocks? No, no, no. I don't, yeah, so, so how do you get things sorry. that are inherently I mean, daft or inherently problematic yeah. or inherently um, kind of culturally, I don't know, accessible to everyone and make them sit still long enough to, to, to gain meaning or to, to look interesting, you know? It's the same as music, isn't it? Charles Manson made really shit folk music. Because yeah. he just didn't really understand how to make music. He just thought he could. I mean, I, talking about music, I quite like... Um, and also to the polyphonic mm. <coughs> music. Um, Did we talk about that on the No, we didn't, but we'll... We're going to do it. have to do that. Oh. Um, I've been listening to a lot of jazz, like Sun Ryan, John Coltrane, and, and um, there's a thing about where you, there's like a structure there, which is the bass and the and the drums, kind of right. a rhythm. Right. But on top of that, you can do you can add like slight craziness that you can fly around that. So can, is that, they can I, like break apart and then come back again. So I, I, don't, a I, don't really, I don't really know much about jazz. So yeah. it's the fundamental of that type of jazz that someone, someone in the band 
is laying down something that has a reasonable fundamental um, logic to it and then because of that the horn player or whoever can fuck about and can, can I think so because if you hear it fly around. if you listen to a lot of that kind of the quite avant-garde stuff there is a structure there um Occasionally the structure is broken up, so sometimes you'd have the drum and the bass going a bit nuts. Yeah, sure. Um, but one way or another, if, they, if there isn't some kind of structure there, it would just be totally like not just kind of. Well, that's a much more eloquent way of saying what I was just trying to say about your work. I think you know, it's that, that if there wasn't some kind of structure to it, it would yeah. be just fucking people noodling. And nobody ever wants to sit and watch somebody new. Yeah. yeah. But you were talking about polyphonics in relation to your, to your work. Yeah, I mean, because um, I, I use a lot of abstract um, elements in the work now. And um, okay, I sort of got really into Paul Klee. Paul Clay. And do, say, do you say Clay or Clay? I've always said Clay. I'm sure I'm wrong. I think there's like an accent on one of these. Yeah. Like, um, Paul Clay, Paul Clay. Yeah, everybody knows who we're talking um, about. And in his interest in Bach Fury, which is a polyphonic rhythmic kind of music. Yeah, which music. I, didn't, I didn't know until I was reading about your work today, your most recent work today, I didn't know what polyphonics Meant. So in in the context of a painting, it's sort of you have um, you have you have color and shape, and there's a repetition, but it's not. It's like um, it's it's always the opposite. So you'd have like a inverse, in reverse, and the structure. Right. So, I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you end up getting a very dynamic, uh, surf, like dynamic um, composition. Yeah. But there's a logic to it. Yeah, there's logic to it. It's maths. Yeah, I mean, he's if, if you like looked, if you read any of his theory, there's a lot of kind of diagrams. Please theory. Yeah. No. Um, they kind of it's quite mathematical. I mean, I have. I mean, I'm. I'd sort of read that at that point. Are you mathematical? No. So I kind of read the text, the, like the, the text in this book about artists and who are influenced by music, and then I looked at his work and I kind of just worked it out by by visual eye. But right. It's I think there's more... See. Yeah, because there's he... There's evidence of it. Uh, because he was a member of the Bauhaus and he taught the Bauhaus. Mm. I need to talk colour theory. Mm. Um, there's more complex, yeah, theory to his work. But I, I kind of see it as a kind of similarly to. I mean, he was looking at cla- classical music, but I can see his work very sim- similar to electronic, electronic music sure. and, and jazz. Yeah. When you look at the work. Yeah. No, that makes sense. 
I'm, you, you sort of schooled me on that today. Um, actually, it's interesting. Please, he's one of the. He's one of that. It's interesting because when when I think of him, I think of abstract expressionism, and that's wrong to a certain extent, isn't it? Because he overlaps with that, but he's not. Yeah. Kind of a, a core component of it in any shape or form, and there's a sort of a. Um, Sort of a Peggy Guggenheim kind of relationship there, and there's sort of um, uh, relationships in terms of certain corners of the art, of art history, but conceptually it's it's not it's not the way it works, and, and and it's it's easier for me to look at his work now or think about his work now than it might have been before. He's always scratched my brain a little bit because there always looks like there's a method to something that maybe should be more um, instinctive or um, uh, responsive and it's always looked like there it's, it's always looked it's always looked like there's a plan and I never really knew what the plan was so now I'm kind of understanding what the plan is a little bit you know it makes a little bit more sense it's all very I still don't quite understand how he manages to make his work look so improvisational, though. Because there is a bit of wit about it. There is a bit, I and I think... it's got something to do with I visual think, language. I it's think got it's something to do with the way talk, he puts paint yeah, you know. He talks about that idea of um, the light, of taking the line for a walk. So it's kind of a... Is that, his, is that him? Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's there's elements of spiritualism in his work because yeah. he talks about that. Um, well, you can see that your work gets drawn from nature rather than you observing nature. It's, there's mm. and that that I kind of um, and that got, that's I, what connects it to things like Greenberg and and, yeah. and that's what takes it back into the abstract expressionist kind of conversation, isn't it? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. kind of sort of a subconscious to yeah when you let it go that way. No, it's interesting. And I can see how that would connect with you because you're tethering things. You're trying to tether things or you're, or you're, you're, you know, you're spinning quite a lot of plates. And so the idea that that's possible and, but, but at the same time you can end up with an outcome you, weren't, you didn't know was going to happen, you didn't see coming, is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, which is like jazz again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I say that, I I'm not sure what's happening. I mean, there's a lot of pre... Perpetually, work that I do, mm. like I'm doing a lot of drawings and sketchbooks that might end up being mm. a separate, uh, that might end up becoming a final painting. If I remember right, your drawings are really good. So, I, I remember talking to you about showing your drawings, and you were a bit like, oh, don't know. You do show some of your drawings, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, um, yeah, last year actually, well, I mean, showed some drawings in LA, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Preparatory so, works in inverted commas, aren't they? Some of them. Yeah. Um, so. So when I yeah when I start doing an actual painting, I kind of know what I'm doing, but mm. it's, it's that kind of patchery is what. That's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. And the element of exploration and and free association with imagery. To get a, like a, an image that I like. Mm. Mm. But they're always contexts of landscape figure 
and then an abstract element. Always. Yeah. That's and the abstract I element is almost a well, compositional element. It brings everything, everything together. Well, the most recent works, yeah. Oh, right. That's landscape figure. Like even the white abstract element. <laughs> it's so simple when you break it down. Yeah. That's so. But that's actually that, everything. It's everything. It, yeah. But in that kind of context, you can do loads of things. You can make like. You can oh, go off to different yeah. tangents and stuff. Of course you can. Yeah. Yeah. The f- and the figures are often relating to something. Um, whether it's a, a fictional shape. Whether they're playing a the saxophone or... Or whether they're actual... An actual figure like I've used David Bowie and what my wife. Right. I've, recent, I've, I've just finished a painting. That's so funny, I was just listening with, to With uh, Sun Ra in it and... Um, and the painting in the in the in the show in the Dini's Cafe, the one sort of large, slightly larger one. The saxophone. Yeah, it's based on John Coltrane. Right. Right. Yeah. I wondered who that was. Um, I didn't read the title. There were because it's a cafe, and there was someone annoyingly. Yeah, you feel a bit weird when you're standing looking our way for someone so eating their porridge. And I didn't even have my coffee with me. I went down there while they were making my coffee upstairs. I went down there to have a look. And there were you know, people talking and eating, which was quite nice. But I, they were in my way, so I couldn't read the thing. But, yeah, and I did feel very self-conscious. Not that self-conscious. They knew what I was doing. I just like came down to look at the art. Yeah. I probably turned their attention to it by doing it. Um, you, you haven't got anything, any other shows coming up, have you? No. Nope. Okay. okay, that's good. Well, thanks, Reese. I would like to. Thank uh, Richard Hoyle for making the intro music, and most of all, I'd like to thank Reese for giving me time and having a conversation with me. If you want to check out more of his work, um, go on Instagram uh, at Studio R Jones, and uh, do go and see the group show, uh, Dreadful Day, which is currently on at uh, uh, Paul Sober Gallery, Gallery in London. Thank you. Oh.